we also won the Concafa. So. And the Gold Cup. How about that? And the Gold Cup. Where's yeah. Beckham live? So. The Concafa. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we won, you Terry. Him. You heard him. We won it. Woo. <laughs> you know what they were singing at the, the end of the Concafa? <laughs> Tell me. Our national anthem. Because we're staying right there at the top. Yep. And we wanted to play against the champion of the Europes, too. Nobody would put up the pink slips. Yeah, we no. wanted you to put up the trophies. Concafa okay. trophy versus the Europe's trophy. We wanted to do it. Football America live and underway here on ESPN alongside Bobby Blue Card himself. Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebastian Salazar for episode 327. Herc, how you doing? Y'all rested and recovered from your big weekend in Las Vegas at the Super Bowl? Who, who's rested and recovered from a weekend in Vegas? What kind of question is that, Sebi? Jeez, I know you're, you're very professional. You're lucky I made my flight. That's all I'm going to say. Mm -hmm. By the way, rare form. That was in Vegas, by the way. Uh, Pat McAfee and, and Thierry Henry talking about Concafa versus the Europe's. So I'd love to see that one. We would love to see that. Uh, who knows? FIFA's always cooking up something interesting. Shout out to our friends on the uh, Pat McAfee show there. We got lots coming up in this edition of Football Americas. Herc, we're going to have an interview with Jonathan Osorio. We're going to talk with a veteran midfielder, not just about <coughs> Toronto FC, but the Canadian men's national team as well. We're going to talk about some MLS coaches under pressure, Herc, before the season even begins. And speaking of MLS, there's a chance that Lionel Messi could be missing even more minutes oh, this no. year. Oh, for no. inner Miami. That's right. Argentina is heading to the Olympics, so we'll talk about the possibility of Messi representing Argentina in Paris later this year. But let's start this edition of the show with a look back, Herc, at the weekend. A very busy weekend. See if we can find some winners uh, and losers. We'll start with the winners, and that's the U.S. men's national team number nine pool, with the obvious exception of Daryl DK. You hate to see what happened to him. Torn Achilles. Haji Wright, though, with two goals. They came. Oh, no. Sar Josh Sargent. We'll start with Josh Sargent, who had a goal in the 62nd minute. Uh, Norwich City in a 2 2 draw against QPR. And then Haji Wright with a penalty goal, one of two for Coventry City, 2 1 against Millwall. That one on Sunday. Yeah, that was, that was the first one. The second one's a nice little buildup. I want you to keep an eye on Haji right here. Look at him. He's already asking for the ball. Sometimes he plays in the wing position. Look at his finish. A little disguise there. Keeper thinks he's going far post. Bam. Gives him the eyes, gives him the hips, near post and beats him. Haji Wright's on fire. Ten goals, five assists in league play for Haji Wright. Meanwhile, in the air of is, Ricardo Pepe with a goal in the 79th minute for PSV and a 5-1 win over Volendam Hurt just a few minutes after he came off the bench. Yeah, stop me if you heard that one before. Mm-hmm. Falaren Balogun, not a great weekend. Another game with not only no goals, but no starts. He came off the bench for Monaco in a 3-2 win over Nice. Uh, Balogun subbed on for the last 10 minutes in that one. His last league goal, though, coming way back on November 24th. Herc, we got one month till the CONCACAF Nations League call-ups. How confident should U.S. fans feel right now after this weekend about the number nine pool? All right, let's forget about Nations League for a second. Just focus on the pool. I mean, the U.S. men's national team fan base should feel very confident with this set of nines or this pool of nines. Just given where they are today, I'm going to go through some names right now. Balogun's 22, Ricardo Pepe's 21, Josh Sargent's 23, Daryl Dike, who unfortunately got injured, he's 23, Brandon Vasquez, 25, Haji Wright is 25, uh, Jordan Pifax, the oldest of the group, was 27. You can go Duncan McGuire, you know, U.S. men's national team, uh, Olympic eligible, 23, Jesus Ferreira, 23. I remember a day when we were talking about the U.S. men's national team nines, getting to Europe, and here we are with all these players in Europe or at a good level or performing at a good level elsewhere, and they're all very young. And the best thing about this is, think about the last U.S. men's national team nine to score going to World Cup. It was Haji Wright last World Cup. If you go back before that, Clint Dempsey, and I'm being very generous, very generous, because Clint mm -hmm. Dempsey was a converted nine. If you want to go real nine, we have to go to 2002, Brian McBride against Mexico. That was the last World Cup goal for an actual nine for the U.S. men's national team pool. You've never had a pool this strong. You've never had a pool this deep. I'd say it's the best pool in all CONCACAF, maybe with the only exception of Canada because they have two very, very good forwards. But if you talk about depth, there is no pool in all CONCACAF that can compete with the U.S. men's national team. Yeah. All that said, Herc, the reality is that right now you're number one. And I think the guy that most people think is by far the number one, 
uh, is not only cold. You think it, not me. But he's not starting, Herc, right? His last league goal came November 24th. His last league start was December 20th. We're going on almost two months there. Now, if this was one month before the World Cup, you might worry that Balogun's not where you might want him to be or expect him to be after a few months at Monaco. But we're not heading to the World Cup. We're heading to CONCACAF Nations League. So when you think about the competition there, the Jamaicas of the world, the Mexicos, the Panamas potentially in a final, you look at the pool, even if it's not Balogun, and you got to feel good that one of those guys can do damage against that level of competition. I mean, you got... If you're a U.S. fan, you got to look at, aside from Balogun, you got goal-scoring forwards who are scoring right now in the championship, in the Eredivisie, in the Bundesliga. We've hardly mentioned Jordan Pifak. He's starting right now, not scoring a ton, right. but starting right now uh, for Gladbach. You mentioned Brandon Vasquez. Didn't start over the weekend, but has been scoring for Rayados. That could certainly boost his stock. I mean, there's a lot of guys scoring in either good leagues or big clubs right now for the U.S. men's national team. So you got to feel very good about that uh, when you look at not just the competition you're going to be going up against, but specifically the other forwards in this region. Dude, we always just compare it to Mexico, Herc. If you're a Mexico fan, you're looking at a, at a number nine pool that's basically three deep, right? It's Santi, Henry, Raul, and then a massive drop-off after that. And by the way, of those three guys, none of them you would qual qualify as hot right now, and all of them are somewhat banged up. So when you do the comparison, yeah. U.S.-Mexico, it's not even close, even with Balogun struggling. No, I, I agree. And if you want to even think about the players from that nine pool for the U.S. men's national team who are in Major League Soccer, Jesus Ferreira was trying to get himself out to Russia. That was a bid that was about to happen until they nixed it. And Duncan McGuire, two fell bids and, in, and a computer error that didn't allow him uh, to go there. Everybody else is, is, is already playing abroad. So I agree with you. It's deep. The times have changed. And, and I will repeat what I said the oldest player here is Jordan Pifak. Mm. You, you're talking about Raul Jimenez. You're talking about Henry Martin. You're talking about guys well in their 30s that are trying to hang on to for the next World Cup, heading into the mid-30s. Nobody's going to be close to that on the U.S. men's national team. One player will barely be 29 years old when that rolls around, and he's not even a lock to be in that roster. So it's very promising uh, where these U.S. men's national team nines are going, With, regardless of the Balogun drought. The ceiling mm -hmm. is there. And the level of play as well. He's arguably the, you know, at the highest level out of them all. Yeah. U.S. number one may not be red hot, but a lot of other guys in the pool are. Again, uh, a word of condolences to Daryl DK, man. You, you hate to see that man. happen to a player uh, and a great guy as well. A great interview. But coming off a long-term injury like that, to see him dealt what seems to be another long-term injury. Herc, I know you've been in, in that place as a striker. It's just brutal. It's brutal, man, and he knows what he's in store for. It's a dark place. Hopefully he can pull himself out. He's a guy that you love to root for. You want to root for. He makes it easy. All right, let's keep it with the U.S. men's national team. We'll go from winners, though, Herc, to losers. And we're going to go with Christian Pulisic here. Now, this might feel a little bit harsh, but stay with me, because he started and he actually played uh, 81 minutes for AC Milan as they beat Napoli 1-0 on Sunday. But if we pull out just a little bit, that's now six straight games across all competitions with no goals and no assists for Pulisic. His last assist was on January 7th, his last goal uh, on December 30th in league play. And of course, this drought comes on the heels of Pulisic winning Serie A Player of the Month for an amazing December that he had with AC Milan. Kirk, what's your level of concern over this dry spell for Christian Pulisic? I'm not too concerned because Christian Pulisic is a very good player, but he's no, by no means a nine. You're going to judge him by the goals. I want to judge him by how effective he can be, how dangerous he can be, how he can provide those goals and those being assists. Now, it's six games, no goals and assists. Okay, now you're a little worried because of how good he's been. You mentioned he was the reigning Serie A player of the month. He's still top three in goals, top three in assists in both categories for Milan. Only Oliver Giroud has more goals than him. And it's a situation where if he was on a drought and not playing, I would worry. But he continues to play, he continues to start, he continues to get over 80 minutes a game as a player that Pioli is definitely counting on. And Milan, by the way, have been very good. People mm -hmm. forget that this has been their best season thus far in the last 20 years. You've got to go back to 2003, 2004, the last time they had this many points in 24 games, 52 points right now. They're only bested by the 1995-96 season and 2003-2004 season. That's it. So right now there is a drought, but he's still a very good player doing very good things on a very good team.
If this was a something, nothing, or everything, I wouldn't be comfortable saying nothing. I can't totally downplay it, Herc. I feel what you're saying. It's not panic stations, but given the fact that the one criticism that we've heard of Christian Pulisic at the club level is he's inconsistent, this worries me a little bit because it's the first flash of inconsistency here with AC Milan, right? If we go back to the time at Chelsea, there was at least the asterisk with his inconsistency that he wasn't healthy. He wasn't always fit. Here he's fit, and yet we've seen the productivity totally drop off. That's in the very, very short term, though, Herc. If, if I look at it big picture, I got very few worries about Christian Pulisic, either with the national team or at AC Milan, as long as they keep Stefano Pioli, because you know AC Milan fans, even though you, you throw those numbers out there, they're not always happy. And right. long term, Herc, I really like AC Milan for Christian Pulisic, because I know you've seen the news that that went viral obviously a couple weeks ago from our own Julian Laron reporting about Kylian Mbappe getting ready to move from PSG to Real Madrid. The dominoes out of that, people are now saying Rafael Leao is going to go from AC Milan to PSG, which would open up that left wing spot for Christian Pulisic. I say I love him in the middle, but I know the consensus is people want to see him out in that left wing spot. It may open up for him at AC Milan sooner than we think. I think a lot sooner. Listen, Rafa Lau is getting this move in, in one of the seasons where he's not done the best. And you talked about consistency. Well, that, I guess, staying on Christian Pulisic's consistency was the reason he wouldn't get on the field. He's on the field. And he's keeping himself on the field with good performances for the team. I mean, they've done very, very well uh, in those six games he's not scored. Uh, so much so that... A few of the bright spots there are Oliver Giroud and, and, and Luka Jovic coming off the bench and scoring goals and, and Loftus-Cheek throughout the midfield. They found a little bit of balance right now. The goals will come. The assists will come to Christian Pulisic because he's that type of player. But I'm not too worried right now at the moment. Mm. I, I'm just happy he's fit. I'm happy he's healthy. I'm happy he's staying on the field. Yeah, and I think you got to back Christian Pulisic given everything we've seen, not just at AC Milan, but with the national team, to pull himself out of this funk if there is one. He's got Europa League coming up. Uh, we know he's got a little bit of a, a, a big game bit to him, right? And you know if he could do it in the semifinals of the Champions League against Real Madrid, he could probably get it done in the knockout rounds of the Europa League. So I think these, these games are going to come pretty fast and heavy for AC Milan. This is where we might see Pulisic kind of come back to life. What do you think? Yeah, and more because of Stefano Pioli. Uh, Pioli trusts him. If anything, Pioli owes him one. He, he happened to save uh, Ace in Milan and got him to Europa League. They're on the verge of no European competition. So he trusts him. That's what he always wanted as a coach who believed him. He has that right now. And I think it's just a matter of time. It takes one, and then the floodgates open. All right, so big picture, Christian Pulisic, very much a winner, maybe a, a loser after a, uh, another weekend without a goal or an assist for AC Milan. Let's get back to the winners, and let's actually go down to Liga MX, where three of the so-called grandes, the big boys, uh, won over the weekend. These are the big boys that have fallen on hard times because we know uh, Club America are the defending champions. Chivas, they won 2-1 over FC Juarez on Saturday. Cade Cowell setting up the... Game-winning goal there by Victor Guzman. Meanwhile, Cruz Azul, big 3-0 victory over San Luis on Saturday. Uriel Antuna, the Mexican international, in among the goals there. And a big win for Cruz Azul in the Mexican capital. That was Saturday night. And then also in the Mexican capital, but on Sunday, we had Pumas, who just like Cruz Azul, put up their own 3-0 uh, victory. This one coming over Puebla. Uh, the big story here... Ali Avila uh, making his debut for Pumas off the bench. 20-year-old Mexican scoring not once, but twice uh, as Pumas rolled Herc's first employer in Mexico, Puebla, by a final score of 3-0. Herc, it was a little bit of a uh, flashback to an 80s weekend down in Liga MX. As the current table sits, we got Cruz Azul 4th, Chivas 7th, and Pumas in 6th through six games played so far. Who do you think is most likely to keep up the hot start? Uh, I'm going to go with Chivas. Let me tell you really quickly why not Pumas, why not Cruz Azul. Uh, Pumas right now I still think is in transition and they lost to many thought was going to be one of the leading goal scorers in Liga Mekis and Funes Mori. Cruz Azul, I think with Anselmi, the new coach, they've impressed. They've impressed a lot. They played so dangerously. And one of those players who was playing so dangerously was El Toro Fernandez. And he just got injured. It looks like an ACL. He's going to be gone. That's going to be a massive blow. So let's take a look at Chivas. If there's one team that's really impressed me, really impressed me this season in Liga Mekis, it's been Chivas. Now, we sit here and talk about how the Mexican player that they have isn't the best Mexican player mm -hmm. of the moment. Uh, they're not the players, the Mexican players that are in Europe. 
They're not the Mexican players to start for the, the Mexican national team. They're not even the best Mexican players in Liga MX. But when you put this young, dynamic team together, Fernando Gago has found somebody or something. He has something with these players. They're dynamic, they're fast, they're intense. They make it very, very difficult for the opponents, and they keep getting better. Cade Cowell, we spoke about him last week. I think he's been one of the revelations of this tournament, not only for Chivas, but in Liga Mekis. If they could find ways to exploit open space with him with the confidence that the Cowboy El Vaquero has right now, they could be even more dangerous. Now, I spoke about the subtractions for the other two. Here's an addition. Mm -hmm. Javier Hernandez, El Chicharito Hernandez, is just around the corner. If you can work a little bit of that Chicharito magic that we know he always brings to a team, if you can get him scoring goals, that's the thing that's missing in this team. They defend well, they defend like animals, really crazy, and they're very intense, fast, and dynamic in the final third. If you can get a goal scorer right there, they're not only going to keep impressing, but they're going to be somebody to contend with in this Liga Mekis. Yeah, my first reaction when I was looking at this topic was despite my Americanista tendencies, was Chivas primarily because of Chicharito, right? They can not just add somebody, but they could add like a megastar, right. a huge impact player. So then I, I, I decided I'd kind of choose between Cruz Azul uh, and Pumas. I'm going to go Pumas here. Now, a little bit of this is prisoner of the moment. I had a, or my cousin had a very vested interest in their game yesterday <laughs> against Puebla. Yeah, my, my primo, uh, over two and three quarters there. So that, that stoppage time goal for Pumas uh, was very well received within the family. Uh, but one, it's an impressive win. It's Puebla at home, whatever. I'm more impressed, Herc, I think, by what they did in their match before that against Tigres, where they're down 2 nothing at El Volcan and are able to come back and, and tie that game 2-2. Two to two. That's not an easy result, Herc. You, you know what's up at El Volcan. It's not easy. Not any team in Liga Mekis can go in there, go down two goals, um, and pull that out. And then the, the big story for me is, is what we saw over the weekend. Uh, now, you know I always turn it to the Mexican national team, Herc, but to see Avila, a 20-year-old player, yeah. scoring like this for Pumas, I mean, it really is a flashback. We've talked about it on this show. There was a moment, uh, a time in the 80s, maybe early 90s, where Pumas was a huge part of the Mexican national team, not just in terms of players at the club were in the senior national team, but the academy was developing players who would eventually go on to the national team. Now, he's not a Pumas academy guy, right? He's a Rayados academy guy who's on loan at Pumas. Rayados, we know, spends tons of money. They're never going to be able to give a kid like this a shot. So to see him get an opportunity at a club like Pumas, which is still one of los grandes, and score, that to me gives me a, a lot of hope for Pumas in the short term and the long term. And the other thing against Cruz Azul is the schedule, man. Their next four, Tigres, León, América, Chivas. We're going to find out about Cruz Azul in the next month or so, aren't we? Yeah, we'll find about Cruz, uh, excuse me, we will find out about Cruz Azul in the next month or so. It's going to be very difficult with Dal Toro Fernandez, who I think has been very, very good for them. Ansemble has a team that they create a lot. They need to finish, but they create a lot, so it'll be very telling. And uh, two things on uh, Ali Avila. For those of you that the name sounds familiar, we watched this guy flourish with Rayos Monterrey in League's Cup against Major League Soccer opposition. He was a young kid playing. He did very well. And number two, the last time a player that went from Rayados, who wasn't getting time, to Pumas and flourished, it ended up being Johan Vasquez, and he parlayed that into a European adventure. Yeah, and uh, again, Pumas, man, they've been not perfect at home, but pretty good at home. And that place, when it's bumping, is uh, one of the tougher places, I would imagine, Herc, to go as a visitor in all of Liga and Mekis. Let's oh, get yeah. back to the losers. And uh, this one features Edson Alvarez, the Mexican international midfielder who did start but was pulled after 45 minutes as West Ham lost 6-0 to Arsenal at home on Saturday. It was 4-0 at the half when Edson was replaced. With the defeat, West Ham fall to eighth in the table, 11 points back of the top four. Edson, for his efforts, if you want to call him that, just nine completed passes in his 45 minutes on the field. And he was heavily criticized by West Ham fans online. From an L3 perspective, Herc, how big a worry is this? I mean, it's a worry from an L3 perspective because he's one of the few players you have in Europe, one of the few players you have in a, in a, an amazing platform like the Premier League in Europe, one of the few players who actually plays. And not only does he play and not do well, but he's not even an impact. I mean, you, you mentioned the nine passes. He touched the ball 17 times. He's playing right now in a club that's winless in their last seven. And what makes it worse, it was in front of Arsenal. It was against Arsenal. And he came out at half 
versus a player who he's supposed to replace, a $100 million player in Declan Rice, who drops a bomb, who drops a golazo on West Ham. It just was like insult to injury. It was the worst possible case scenario for Edson Alvarez. So I was working at ESPN FC shift this weekend. I had a particular eye on this game early in the morning. You know, we're watching it for, uh, from an Arsenal perspective. And I got my eye on Edson, and he was awful. And not like bad touches awful, but like somebody who was sick, who was ill. He looked like a guy who was physically tired, even 20, 30 minutes into this game. So this was, for me, the worst performance I've seen of him in a West Ham shirt. But I think it's a little bit of a fluke. We haven't heard anything about an injury. We haven't heard anything about an illness. But I'm going to wait and kind of hold off my judgment on what I saw this weekend from him. Um, because I think actually, Herc, if you go back to the last meeting between these two, which was not all that long ago, December 28th, I think, he went up against Declan Rice and West Ham won that game 2-0. And that was actually, I think, his best performance in a West Ham shirt. So I think that's more of Edson's level that he's a producing with West Ham, but also that the Mexican national team needs out of him. Now, if there is a somewhat big concern for me about Edson. Well, who came on for him? Exactly. Because when I see Christian Pulisic, I see a struggle here. But long term, I think at AC Milan, things look great. When you see Edson Alvarez play poorly and the guy who comes on for him is Calvin Phillips, who's a legit England international, not a Callum hudson Adoy England international, right? This is a legit England international on loan from Manchester City, who's, by the way, super motivated in the next yeah. few months to try and get his spot back in the England team for the Euros this coming summer. Um, if Edson is sick and he stays sick or he, or he keeps playing like he did over the weekend, Calvin Phillips is going to take his job. And that may not cost him his job with the Mexican national team, but after a $40 million move, you don't want to be on the bench. And, and I'm just a little bit worried, having seen Calvin Phillips come on at the half, that that could be in the future for Edson. Well, Edson better hope it's not in the future for Edson Alvarez. And Calvin Phillips is a legit player who's got a major chip on his shoulder because of Pep Guardiola, the best coach in the world, tells you you're overweight, tells you you're not fit or apt to play. You've got something to prove. Now, he's at a place right now that he's got something to prove, and he's coming on for a guy that didn't do well. It's a recipe for disaster if you're Edson Alvarez. So you've got to change your course and change it soon. Yeah. I don't know if you saw the comments from his agent. Uh, talking about the 60 million euro offer, I guess confirming the 60 million euro offer about a year and a half from Chelsea. Doesn't sound like IX made their, their best business there. Uh, also worth noting, the technical director of West Ham has been saying really good things about uh, Edson Alvarez in the press. He says he was, uh, what do you say, call him a leader and super important to the team. All right. So mm. there are people at West Ham that still have faith in Edson Alvarez, even if they're bringing in well, a guy like the coach says the same thing. Calvin Phillips on uh, David. David Moyes might not be there all that long either. So <laughs> there you go. who knows what impact that would have on uh, on Edson. All right, let's run it back, because it was a great weekend, not for Mexican midfielders, but for U.S. midfielders. We'll start in the air of his with Taylor Booth who followed up his hat-trick against Volendam with a brace against Fortuna Sittard on Sunday. That's five goals in two games. Yeah, back to his best football. He was on this pace before he got hurt, uh, you know, last season, and he's doing it again right now. People tend to forget who he is and, and how much attention he had on him last year. He was playing so well that there were reports of Eric Ten Hag and Manchester United chasing him. FC Utrecht up to ninth in the table after their 4 nothing win. Again, Taylor Booth, five goals in his last two games in the Dutch top flight, which of course you can watch on ESPN+. Plus. You can also watch the Bundesliga on ESPN+. Plus. That's where you find Leonard Maloney. He got his first Bundesliga goal for Heidenheim in a 2-1 win over Werder Bremen on Saturday. Yeah, 24-year-old first goal. Like, listen, this guy plays every single game. He's a legit starter in the Bundesliga. They're only five points off a of sixth place. I don't know. They're on to something here in the kid. He's got a little bit of pedigree for being from Dortmund. Ninth place right now in the table. Not bad for the newly promoted side. Elsewhere on ESPN Plus over the weekend, La Liga. Johnny Cardoso with an assist and a man of the match performance as Raul Betis won 2-0 over Cadiz on Friday. Yeah, if you're a U.S. men's national fan, this should really excite you. There's been no clear heir to Tyler Adams or replacement for Tyler Adams when he's not available and he's not been available in a very long time. It's been a Weston McKinney, Eunice Musa combo. He could be a guy you may want to try out if you're Greg Berhalter. Betis, sixth in the table. Let's hear from Johnny Cardoso post-game. You were MVP of the game. How do you feel after tonight's game? I'm very happy, especially because I'm happy what I'm doing at the club and, and the, the, the fans and the teammates have received me very well. So this is just the start for me and hopefully we can evolve as a team.
and growing the competition. Obviously, there have been quite a few big departures, but you've stepped up as one of the arrivals. What can you achieve in the team? Well, we know that every player in the team is, is ready to come into the starting 11. So all of the squad is, is ready to, to compete. La Liga on ESPN Plus this weekend. Catch Johnny in action as Real Betis faces Alaves. Coverage starting 3 p.m. Eastern Time Sunday right here on ESPN Plus. Time to turn our attention to Major League Soccer. The season less than 10 days away. And for Toronto FC and Jonathan Osorio, they're looking to shake off all memory of 2023 when they took home the wooden spoon for the fewest points in all of MLS. As for Osorio, the 31-year-old is entering his 12th season in Major League Soccer, one that will reunite him with former Canadian men's national team manager John Herdman, who's now in charge at TFC. Jonathan Osorio of Toronto FC and the Canadian men's national team, our next guest here on Football Americas. Welcome back to the show. Great to have you. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks for having me. So uh, let's start with Toronto. Yeah. Kind of a crazy year last year. How do you sum it up? <sighs> A crazy one. <laughs> yeah, it's a crazy one. Um, but uh, yeah, a disappointing one. Obviously, you know, nobody, nobody saw it coming. I don't think uh, we definitely didn't feel we did, we definitely didn't see it coming in, uh, going into preseason last year. So around this time, uh, but you know, things happen and it's football. And unfortunately, our stuff got blown out there. And you know. Uh, I want to say it happens, but I don't think it does. Uh, but whatever, it's time to, you got to move forward. You got to learn from it and, and, and move forward. That's all you can do. You know, I'm, I'm curious. Um, sometimes when teams don't succeed in this league, it's because they don't invest. You know, you, we've seen it in the past. The San Jose's of the world, the, the Colorado's of the world, they don't invest enough. Toronto constantly invests. And for the investment, the return hasn't been exactly what any of your fans had hoped for. How do you explain something like that for, for the fan base? Yeah, it's tough. Um, because in past years, the investment has worked. And it worked for a long time. Um, and yeah, Toronto's been, you know, they were one of the pioneers to invest the way they did. Uh, back back uh, a while ago and now now you see a lot of teams doing it in different ways but Toronto's always been that way and for some reason in the last couple of years it hasn't worked and it's, it's hard to explain um, there's, there's many reasons um, I think that for me um, we thought that the success we had the reputation that we had built uh, was just going to stay, uh, that it would be there uh, without doing the same things that got us there. And so we started to think the performances on the pitch would just happen. And I don't think that a lot of uh, maybe uh, a lot of time and, and research was done into maybe making certain decisions. I'm curious about the kind of locker room's relationship last year with Bob Bradley. He's a guy who's been in this league so long, had so much success. Why do you think it, it didn't work out? I think, you know, a lot of things happen. Um, you know, I think, um, you know, the locker room respects and respected Bob Bradley. I mean, how can you not? And, um, I think what happened was we had a lot of expectations on us in the beginning of the season and the results weren't going our way and it was frustrating for everybody and, and then on top of the frustration there wasn't that one game that could get us out of that that rut and then injuries came and and so it just it was a domino effect like so many bad things happened um, it wasn't one person's fault uh, I would say so um, yeah, I think it was just difficult the way everything happened and part, big part because we weren't meeting expectations. You know, Jonathan, you're the all-time leader in games played for, for the franchise in Toronto. Um, you're one of the leaders of the team. I'm curious from your perspective what it was like 
being inside a locker room that maybe some would say, or per reports at the Athletic, the culture was being lost. You had all these leaks uh, of, of players kind of fighting and, and, and players not buying into the concept of, of the leadership or coaching. What was that like for you? Well, it was tough. Um, tough being the like hometown kid and someone who's been there for a long time. Uh, I, I never, you know, it was maybe my first time experiencing that in the team where things weren't going well and and uh, yeah when you lose the good teams find a way to be united and unfortunately we we got divided and i think i i don't think we were divided unt up until maybe things started getting out there and how they got out there who knows but um the good teams are able to keep those things in house and for some reason we didn't, and that affected the whole team, and uh, you know, more mentally than anything. And you know, it's tough to recover in a, in, a, in in the middle of a season, especially in MLS, when um, you know games are decided by the smallest of margins. Uh, you talk about kind of a, a distance or a, a separation in the locker room. Uh, we've heard so many reports just recently about Lorenzo Insigne maybe wanting to go back to Serie A, Benedeschi as well. Um, is that rift, is that difference in the locker room, do you sense that it's healed now? Like, do you feel like those guys specifically are bought in? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I, you know, when John came in at the end of the season last year, um, even that, those 10 days working up to the last, um, the last game of the season felt different. Um, you know, John. John's the kind of guy that does his homework. You know, he knows what he's getting himself into and knows how to navigate. So he did a really good job of getting guys uh, motivated again and and uh, and uh, really up for playing that last game. It didn't go the way we wanted, unfortunately, but it did. It, it did feel like something was different, and he was getting now the group to buy in, and then the trainings after. So yeah, I I, I think guys are bought in for this year. All right, Herc, a lot of ground covered there with Jonathan Osorio. Worth noting, in case you couldn't tell, that was from back on January 10th. So it's been a while since we actually sat down with the now captain of Toronto FC. Herc, your big takeaways? There's a lot of work to do in Toronto. I mean, we can sit here and say it's a new coach, so a new regime, but a lot of those same pieces where those same problems were there are still there. So how do you move on from that? And Jonathan Osorio, who spoke about how difficult it's been for him to be a hometown kid of Toronto, who loves Toronto, who loves the club, to see it kind of waste away, see the culture erode that way. I think there's a lot of work to do, and I think John Herdman has a, a lot in his hands. And we're going to very soon see an interview that we did with Insigne, and you could kind of feel the same sentiment is there. There's a lot of work to do in Toronto. Yeah. I mentioned that Osorio was just named the captain. I find that interesting. You know, I felt like if things were going super well with one of the big-name guys, maybe that's who you would give the armband to in, in almost a, a show of, like, let's, let's erase 2023 from memory and let's start anew if you're John Herdman. We know he's a guy that's big on culture. Obviously, that didn't happen. Uh, the window has closed. There's a window in the summer, so either of those guys could obviously leave. But even in the dying you know, moments of the last transfer window, Herc, the rumors were popping up. Bernadeschi to Juventus. I think it was like Besiktas yeah. or somebody from Turkey that was supposedly interested in the last minute in Lorenzo Insigne. So uh, that hasn't really seemed to calm down. And if you remember the interview we did with John Herdman, I asked him directly, you know, are these guys bought in? And I don't remember his answer exactly, so. but it wasn't yes. It I think was, it was more something like... I hope this so, he said. Yeah, and this is part of a process. Right. You know, he was kind of like buying his time. So, um, obviously, he hadn't worked with the guys a whole lot at that point, although he had been, you know, in and around the team since the, the prior fall. But uh, I, I do, I'm with you, man. I think this Toronto FC situation, there's been a lot of investment, uh, and there's still a lot of talent on paper on that roster, and those guys are playing in the preseason. But I, I don't know that I'm banking on a big turnaround here, or at least a quick one under John Herdman. Yeah, John Herdman has his work cut out for him. Bill Manning definitely has his work cut out for him. If anybody's on the hook right now, it's, it's Bill Manning. He, he's been the constant of all the Toronto FC problems since his time there. I don't need to defend John Herdman, mm -hmm. um, but in his defense, what you said about he gave the captaincy to, to uh, Jonathan Osorio, mm -hmm. uh, when you're a team captain, you have to communicate mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. everybody. And when you're on the field, you have to communicate 
with the referee. Insignia, we interviewed Insignia. What language did we interview him in? We interviewed him in Spanish, and he responded in Italian. Yes, correct. There you go. Um, by the way, I don't know if we had too much about the Canadian national team in there, but we did talk with Jonathan about it. Uh, of course, they'll be taking Trinidad uh, and Tobago on on March 23rd in Frisco, Texas, for one of those last tickets into Copa America. Let's stay with Toronto FC here, because they were in preseason action over the weekend against Columbus. This was on Saturday in California. Why are we telling you about an MLS preseason game? Uh, well, because Toronto FC were telling journos, uh, specifically this is Neil Davidson from the Canadian press, that they, quote, cannot share results from today, end quote. Uh, this apparently because of a decision that was reached between the two clubs, Columbus uh, and Toronto. Of course, when you need to find out what happened, uh, you go to The Athletic. Tom Bogert over there doing uh, the Lord's work, did some digging, and he found out Columbus apparently won the game 4-2. This seemed to be confirmed by videos released on social media by both clubs, though I actually don't think, at least from what I've seen yet, either team has confirmed uh, this final score. Herc, are you cool with MLS teams hiding their preseason results? No, I'm not. I'm not cool with, like, that's shit. Where ESPN, I could say that. Where ESPN Plus, I could say ESPN that. ESPN Plus, yes, yeah, yes. Yes, yeah. that, that's... That's complete BS right there. Like, you, you're doing a disservice to your fan base. You're doing a disservice to the journalists who are trying to do their job. And you're doing a disservice to your players. Your players don't need protection. They don't need this. This isn't protecting them. This is you just being soft. If you want to instill a culture, change a culture, it starts with things like this. This is an absolute joke. If I'm one of the players, I'm laughing, and then I'm having a talk with somebody. The culture needs to change. You don't need to be protected. And the one thing in Major League Soccer, because this is on, because we're going to focus on Toronto, right? This is mm -hmm. what it's about. It's changing the culture in Toronto. Columbus doesn't care. They just want an MLS Cup, okay? I don't even know why they agreed to terms with this. It's very silly to me. But Major League Soccer has a, has a perception. Major League Soccer has a perception of being soft, that there is no culture within its own league. Mm -hmm. You can't try to always hide things that you perceive as negative. People see through that. You need to stop doing that, whether it's players, because they love trying to push players on you for interviews, but not the players that you want. Okay? Mm -hmm. Not those guys. They don't have the time for your interviews. Okay? They love to protect their brand. They love to do all these things at the expense of who? You, the consumer. You, the journalist. It's just embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Can I be honest? I like it. I get it if you're Toronto FC. The only problem here, Herc, is they should have started it I don't know, what Last do you think, year? March or April? <laughs> yeah. I mean, why not go full North Korea at the 2010 oh, World oh, Cup, geez. right? Just, just, pretend, just pretend you won MLS Cup last year. What, what wooden spoon? I mean, this is genius from Toronto FC. I, I, I really like it. I respect it. Why not? Why not break it out? Um, obviously, this is ridiculous. I'm trying to think of, like, why they would do it. Some people are kind of floating the idea out that maybe it's because of trialists they're trying to keep under wraps. It's February 12th. If there's a trialist you haven't <laughs> yeah. signed, I mean, come on. Come on, guys. You know, the season's starting in less than 10 days. This so. sounds to me like somebody's feeling the heat and wants none of it. Who could that somebody be? Mm, mm. I, honestly, dude, I, I think it's a little bit of a, of a league-wide issue as well with preseason. Yeah. Like, I, I, there was a time I used to go to always to Charleston, South Carolina. There was, the, there was a preseason tournament there, and it would be great. You, you'd have all sorts of access to the players. You'd get to see some really good games. They got a cool thing going on out now in Coachella. Yeah. I mean, you, you could probably go out and see that. That sounds like a, a good time. MLS preseason, I mean, think about Major League Baseball. There's a whole economy built up around spring training in Major League Baseball. We can't even get a half-decent stream of some of these preseason games. It's like they're not even happening. So MLS always, to your point, they, they want more attention. They want more hype. They want, they want mainstream media to, to, to focus on them. But then they, you don't want to drum up any interest during preseason because, what, Toronto FC might lose 5 or 6 nothing. Is, is that what the concern was here? I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know. Come on, uh, Bill. Come on home, Bill, Bill Manning. That's your guy. That's your guy. That's your guy for this year. I say it was Greg Vanny in 2023. Oh, yours Bill is Greg Vanny. I never said anything about Greg Vanny. You with your pro, pro Vanny, pro LA Galaxy ways. All right, let's, uh, speaking of managers, let's talk about some managers who might be under pressure. Maybe Greg Vanny uh, is on this list. Mm. We are, uh, as I said, nine days now from opening kickoff of the 2024 uh, MLS opener which is what, uh, Inter-Miami and Real Salt Lake, right? Is that February 21st, I believe, is the opener. Uh, so for you, Herc, 
which MLS manager is beginning the season under the most pressure? We've got some choices, but take a shot. Anybody in the league? Who's the first one? He's the interim at Minnesota United. Oh. So I think when you start the season with an interim tag, that's... Uh, wow. All right. Some okay. modicum of pressure. There we go. I, I could see why Josh Wolf is in here. I could see why people would put Greg Bain in here. I'm going to go with Gonzalo Pineda. Come on down. Now, here's the thing with Gonzalo Pineda. Gonzalo Pineda in 2021 took over midway in Atlanta. Uh, got to the playoffs. First round exit against NYCFC, who are eventual champions, right? We get that. Okay. Next year, it's going to be better, right? They didn't even make the playoffs the next year. They were one of the worst defensive teams in the league. We fast forward to 2023, a really bad defensive team again. Literally only Toronto and Miami had worse defensive records in the East. That's how bad this Atlanta United team was. First round exit versus Columbus, okay? Now, I know what we're thinking here. Well, Gonzalo Pineda, Atlanta was bad. They've been bad. They, they were bad before Gonzalo Pineda. That's true. But in the midst of being bad with Gonzalo Pineda, Thiago Almada was the league leader in assists. He won a World Cup with Argentina. Uh, they've got a very good offensive team. Uh, Georgios Giacomakis was second place in the Golden Boot race. A, a guy that can change things. You expect more from this team. Very Jekyll and Hyde performances. And, and here's the thing with Gonzalo Pineda. He is still very green. Before this, he was an assistant coach on the Seattle Sounders. And the biggest thing of why he is on the hot seat is Garth Lagerway, the president of Atlanta United. Now, when Garth Lagerway went to the Seattle Sounders, Siggy Schmidt was in place. Okay, Siggy Schmidt was let go in 2016 midway. Brian Schmetzer comes in. He had the interim tag, and while he's looking... The Seattle Sounders that I was part of went on a run and ended up winning MLS Cup. So he keeps Brian Schmetzer in his place. He keeps Brian Schmetzer there. Not only does he not get to choose a coach because they were successful, wildly successful in his time with the Seattle Sounders, but he leaves the club and now comes to Atlanta United where there's already a coach in place, Gonzalo Pineda. What I'm trying to tell you is a coach, or excuse me, is a president and chief CEO has not gotten to put a coach in place since 2014. You know that Garth Lagerway must be itching at the chance of making his imprint, of bringing somebody into a massive super club in Major League Soccer like Atlanta United. I think if there's anybody on the hot seat, it's Gonzalo Pineda and for multiple factors. Yeah, as you mentioned, Pineda hired in 2021, Lagerway in 2022. So you just do the math there. You can see not necessarily... His guy, not to say that he doesn't respect him as a coach, but not the guy that he hired, not the guy that he brought in. It is, Herc, however, the same situation with the Galaxy, right? We got Will Koontz, who's now taken mm -hmm. over from LAFC. He didn't hire Greg Vanny. So I really thought you were going to go with the LA Galaxy, given your LA Galaxy ways and the fact that you like to, uh, I think, hold that club to a high standard. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to go a little bit different direction here. I am going to go with Josh Wolf. Now, a lot of this just uh -oh. has to do with momentum. Right, Careful. and I don't necessarily think, I don't necessarily think that Josh Wolf is a bad manager, but in terms of pressure to start the season, he's got to be uh, at the top of the list. Let's just compare what happened in 2023 to what happened in 2022, because it was a disaster. Right, you go from second in the West, Western Conference Final, to 12th in the West, 15 points fewer uh, in the regular season. And that's just the regular season. I'm not mentioning Open Cup where they go out round of 16 to a terrible Chicago Fire team. By the way at home. And I'm not mentioning CONCACAF Champions League where we all know what happened against Violet of Haiti, Ooh. where they lose 3-0 away, come back and win at home, but can't get the job done at home. And you know, you know what this show is like. You know that little segment we run at the beginning, what we call in the business the cold open. I mean, I, I need two hands to count the amount of times, Herc, that we've used something from We Are Austin TV. Right? Those, those fans have been mad, especially for the last 12 months. I know at least a part of the fan base has seemingly already turned on Josh Wolf. And then to your to your point, Pineda is not Lagerway's guy, right? And Vanny isn't necessarily Kuhn's guy. Well, Josh Wolf isn't Rodolfo Borrell's guy. And Rodolfo Borrell comes from Manchester City to run Austin FC. Now he's not come to Austin FC from Manchester City to not have an impact. So if Josh Wolf gets off to a slow start here and you've got a guy from Manchester City, and who's got a Rolodex that includes Pep Guardiola, not saying he's going to bring Pep to Austin, 
but, but he certainly has some big names in that Rolodex. Uh, I just think it might be tough for Josh Wolf to keep that job with a guy who probably, like you said, um, is another one of these new GMs who wants to have an impact. Yeah, I don't know if you mentioned League's Cup and the fracaso that was League's mm, Cup or the, or, or the two Open Cups against USL competition where they get outed. But, yes, you're absolutely right. Now, you mentioned Borelli. Uh, he does have somebody in his Rolodex who does have ties to City and has ties to Major League Soccer. Dominic Torrent and his style, mm. we could see worse things being. You're absolutely right. You know, Josh Wolf had a very successful season, but he's been under pressure for quite some time, mm -hmm. and he's wasn't Borelli's guy, so this could uh, definitely be something. Yep, and a lot of times, Herc, we know, because you're right to, to suggest Atlanta, a lot of that pressure is going to come from the owner. We know he has high standards, but it also comes from the fan base. If you have a fan base that is engaged and cares, that's when the seat gets hot, and I, th I think that's definitely the case uh, in Austin, as we've seen from our friends I over there. I can't wait at, till they uh, laminate your TV. face. That's right. Uh, on a quote. That's right. Go ahead. I know. Austin FC is going to be uh, laminating this segment for sure as they uh, look for inspiration throughout the 2024 MLS season. Uh, I'll be on this screen tomorrow, Herc, for Ooh. the next edition of ESPN FC. That's right, right here on ESPN+. Plus, I'll be hosting uh, Tuesday. We'll, of course, be covering the Champions League, Real Madrid, and Manchester City, both in action. Let's talk Olympics. Argentina beat Brazil 1-0 on Sunday at CONMEBOL's pre-Olympic tournament in Venezuela, thus punching a ticket to the Summer Games in Paris. After the win, manager Javier Mascherano was asked about including his former teammate, Lionel Messi, in the squad. Here's what Mache had to say. Que los tiempos de, de selección mayor, está la Copa América, no es fácil. Por eso mismo hay que ser precavido, hay que, obviamente, vamos a hablar, todos conocen mi relación tanto con Ángel como con Leo, somos amigos, eh, tenemos una relación espectacular. Yo como entrenador, lo que sí, obviamente, tengo la obligación de, 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 de invitarlos, pero uno también entiende que, que bueno, eh, tienen otros compromisos y, bueno, dependerá también de eso, ¿no? Eh, no, no es tan sencillo. Wow, Herc, as if this preseason could not get worse, could get any worse for Inter-Miami. Here we have this. What do you make of the uh, latest messy news as it applies to our friends on South Beach? You preaching panic or calm? <laughs> calm or alarm here? I'm going alarm. Let's just think of this for a second, all right? Because we know with Messi, Messi's going to do what he wants. There, there is no... Let me explain how it works to the world. Uh, the The... Olympics are a U23 tournament with three reinforcements, right? So because it's a youth tournament, it's not a FIFA-sanctioned tournament, I should say, uh, the clubs, your parent club, can say, no, you're not going to that. Nobody's telling Messi he's not going. We almost have to assume that's part of the agreement when he decides to go to a place like Inter-Miami, that he would have control over what he does and cannot do. He's essentially an owner, and that's what it is. So if you're asking me if Inter-Miami and Major League Soccer, by the way, and Liga Amekis should be worried about mm -hmm. Messi playing the Olympics, absolutely. The Olympics start July 24th. Two days later, guess what starts? League's Cup. If I'm Major League Soccer, if I'm Liga Amekis, and my golden goose, my little prize that I'm going to trout out to everybody is in jeopardy and not having the biggest draw that he can have in Lionel Messi there, yes, I'm worried. Couple that with Copa America. Couple that with other obligations that you may mm -hmm. have if you're into Miami. Recipe for disaster if Messi wants. Now, Messi's already played in Olympics. He's already won an Olympic medal, gold medal. Messi's already won a World Cup. He's got no necessity to go help his friend Mascherano at all. But in case he were to, in case he did want to, I would be very worried. Yeah. Yeah, the other responsibilities just keep piling up, right? You got Copa America, you got World Cup qualifiers. Now we're going to throw in the Olympics. Uh, not to mention, this is a guy who already had an MRI this preseason, right? And some of his teammates aren't exactly healthy as well. So when you pull it back to an Inter-Miami perspective, I think this is real, real troublesome. To your point, they probably have no choice. Even if by the FIFA law they can say no, there's no way anybody at Inter-Miami is saying no to Lionel Messi uh, if he wants to go to the Olympics. And it feels to me, Herc, like this Inter-Miami season, when all those other responsibilities pile up, is becoming more and more of an afterthought. And for somebody who was very excited uh, 
somebody's cousin who was very excited <laughs> tu primo. to invest uh, in the in the futures odds for Inter Miami and MLS Cup, which I think were plus 250, way better than everybody else. Um, I'm really starting to have my doubts. I know you prodded me on that last week. Now, we are going to make our official predictions as far as MLS Cup next week. So I'll make my official pick then, but my confidence in that Inter-Miami plus 250 to win MLS Cup is waning as uh, all these other assignments seem to chalk up for Lionel Messi. The, the specific dates, the final of the Olympics would be the 11th of August. Final of the League's Cup would be the 25th of August. So I guess maybe he could be here for the end of the tournament. But a League's Cup without Messi, meh. I yeah. mean, there's meh. There's you got to get there if you're in Miami. You got to yeah. get there. Uh, MLS. They know, th- they know a thing or two about killing tournaments. So, you know, if you want to kill League's oh, Cup. Hey-o. Chale, just take Messi out of it. No? No, no problem there. What? Too soon? Too soon? A reminder, La Liga here on ESPN+. Plus. Luca de la Torre and Celta de Vigo uh, in action Saturday. They're going to be taking on Barcelona. Coverage starts 12.30 p.m. Eastern time, 9.30 in the morning Pacific, right here on Plus. All right, let's run it back. Herc, Liga Mekis Femenil. Uh, Chivas, big winners over Santos. The final score in this one, 10-2. The headline, Alicia Cervantes with six goals for the Mexican international. Yeah, the record's four, Alicia. It was just four, but you want it all to yourself. Here goes six goals against Santos, my Santos, who, by the way, league worst 34 goals against so far this season. Only four goals, four. And our girl, Alicia, 30 years old, she's historic. Yeah. History, I think, is the right word uh, with these goals. She tied Katy Martinez for the most goals in Liga MX Femenil history with 139. She is the first ever, as you mentioned, to score six in a single game. And she's the third ever to hit 100-plus goals with the same club. Licha Cervantes absolutely getting it done and heating up at the right time. Why? Because we got the CONCACAF W Gold Cup. Coming up on ESPN Deportes, tournament kicks off February 20th, runs through the March 10th finale in San Diego. Mexico against Argentina. One to bookmark the tournament opener for El Tri Femenil. All right, Herc, that'll do it for this edition of Football Americas. Tell us what you're wearing, and I'll uh, cede to you the last word. It's my uh, Dino shirt right here. It's a Gremio Academia shirt from Dino. Uh, Dirt Patch, I think, is the company that does it. And I, I see you're wearing the new Johnny. Is that the number four Johnny? Uh, you know what? It's not, it's not uh, personalized yet. I don't have Cardoso on the back, but uh, shout-out to Hummel. Shout-out to La Liga. Shout-out to Real Betis. They always have uh, beautiful Dude, Hummel's kids. got some beautiful gear. All right, coming up on uh, Thursday's edition of the show, we'll be looking back at leg two from a very busy midweek in the CONCACAF Champions League. A lot of the big boys down uh, in Mexico are going to be playing. We're going to be talking Champions League and Europa League. We could have both Christian Pulisic and Santiago Jimenez, depending on his health, in action on Thursday. That should be a lot of fun. And, Herc, we are going to dig in on what's going on with the U.S. Open Cup. Mm -hmm. I had some great reporting recently from The Athletic, and I'm hearing from some people that MLS may still be trying to walk away from what I think is the greatest soccer tournament in these United States. We'll talk about that on Thursday. He's Herc. I'm Seb. Thanks for watching. We'll see you back here Thursday night on ESPN+.